0: Welcome to another episode of New Books in Islamic Studies. I'm your host, Elliot Bazano. For every program, we choose a new and exciting book and chat with the author. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Zeki Saritoprek, professor of theology and religious studies and director of the Bediou Zaman Sayyid Nursi Chair in Islamic Studies at John Carroll University, about his exciting book, Islam's Jesus published by the University of Florida Press in 2015. In Islam's Jesus, Zeki Sari Toprak explores an old topic from a fresh perspective. The status of Jesus in Islam has been of interest for centuries, and relates, of course, to both Christianity and Islam, but the level of synthesis that Professor Sari Toprak's monograph offers is remarkable. He draws on a variety of Islamic literature, including commentaries on the Qur'an, works of theology, and collections of prophetic sayings. Moreover, he surveys not only the vast Arabic sources on his topic, but also Turkish sources, and his research covers multiple schools of thought and time periods. Another hallmark of the monograph is the attention it gives to Jesus' role in Islamic eschatology. Notably, Sari Toprak demonstrates how mainstream as well as lesser-known Islamic discourses on eschatology encompass numerous hermeneutical strategies. Some, for example, understand the descent of Jesus as a physical phenomenon, while others understand it as a non-material spiritual phenomenon. The book highlights a number of other competing discourses as well, which are likely to challenge and even surprise the reader. The author's clear writing style, combined with meticulous attention to scholarly rigor and textual engagement, makes the text accessible to a range of readers, which should render it useful to general audiences, as well as scholars of eschatology, Christian-Muslim relations, Quranic studies, and other fields. Good morning, Zaki. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: Good morning,
0: Elliot. Thank you for having me. Our, our pleasure. And so it's our tradition here in Nubix and Islamic Studies to ask our authors to tell us a little bit of background about themselves and how they got interested in your topic. So could you tell us a little bit about that and if you had any influential mentors or, or scholarship that helped get you interested in your project?
1: Yeah, thank you. Uh, since my college years, I have been studying in Islamic theology with an emphasis on Islamic eschatology. I did my exit thesis uh, on the aesthetic argument on the existence of God. Then I did my master's thesis on al-Nesafi's idea, Sufat al-Taqwin, which can be translated as creating as a divine attribute, which is very much debated between Asharites and Maturidites. Reading manuals of Islamic theology, I would frequently encounter a statement like, we believe in the emergence of Antichrist, al-Dajjal. We believe in the descent of Jesus, Nizul Isa. So I was wondering, what is the meaning of Antichrist? And what, how Jesus uh, is coming? What is his Nizul? Uh, therefore, I decided to do my PhD dissertation on the concept of the Antichrist, al-Dajjal. Um, My dissertation was published in Turkish in 1992. Uh, Part of this research uh, actually I published in uh, English as an article for the Muslim world in the year 2003. Having studied the Antichrist, Jesus' antithesis, uh, I thought now I have to write on Jesus as well.
0: Yeah, so that's that's really interesting. So you got interested in Jesus on one level by looking at anti-Jesus or Antichrist and then later went to to study to study Jesus and in this current project. And so since the, the title of the book is Islam's Jesus, could you say something a little bit about what went into your thinking about the title? So is it important? Were you thinking about it in the sense that Jesus belongs to Islam and sometimes other people think Jesus belongs to their tradition?
1: Actually, uh, I didn't have that uh, dichotomy. I would say because uh, f- f- from my reading of Islamic theology, Jesus was a part of Islamic theology. But what was striking for me uh, is uh, his coming, his descent, coming from sky. That was uh, interesting for me. So that's why I dedicated uh, actually later on on this subject uh, my 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 uh, my works.
0: Hmm. And so, in, in particular, since I'm, I'm familiar a little bit with some efforts that you have in terms of interfaith work and talking with people of all sorts of different religious backgrounds, have you had any interesting kind of encounters with people where you might just meet someone randomly and tell them about your research about Jesus and this sparked some kind of conversation?
1: I uh, I had, uh, I would say, many conversations prior to uh, writing this book. Um I would say um, most of them were positive, but also I had some negative uh, conversations as well. Some people who would say Muslims are degrading Jesus because they call him a prophet, and a prophet is a very, uh, you know, like uh, degrading term for Jesus. And of course, I had some arguments, um, you know, uh, against this idea that the concept of prophet is not a small concept in the Islamic tradition. Actually, Jesus is considered among uh, the five elite prophets who are uh, considered the highest of all human beings. Uh, Noah, Abraham, Moses, Jesus, and Muhammad. Uh, these are considered the highest of all human beings. So calling Jesus a prophet, uh, I thought it was not degrading uh, his his message and his uh,
0: place in Islam. So could you say a little bit more about that? Since a lot of people probably in English, when they hear the word Jesus, they connect it to Christianity and salvation and the Son of God. And So could you give us a brief overview of how Muslims have understood Jesus historically?
1: Well, uh, as I mentioned in in my book, uh, there are more than 90 verses uh, uh, speaking of Jesus. Uh, and therefore, it even a small hint in the Quran is significant about anything. So, if there are many verses in the Quran uh, speaking of Jesus, uh, it becomes very important figure of Islam. And that's why I called my book Islam's Jesus. Well, there are some differences between Islam and Christianity, uh, but I would say um, my my book is not in an apologetic way. It is much more academic and. Uh, more uh, focusing from an Islamic approach. Sometimes I give some ideas about the Christian approach very briefly, but that's not my goal. And also, that's, it's not my goal to debate. You know, my is better than yours. You know, that's not my goal, actually, in this book. And some scholars who wrote uh, uh, some reviews of the book uh, uh, suggested that it has been written in a positive spirit. And that's, that's the one that actually I, I, I uh, intended. intended. Uh, to to do,
0: and so given that there there's a bit of scholarship about the role of Jesus in Islam, could you say a little about how your book fits into this larger body of scholarship that looks at Jesus' role in the Islamic tradition?
1: I would say there are uh, a few books written on Jesus in Islam in English. Uh, Jeffrey Perender, uh, Tarif Khalidi, and a few others have written on Jesus in Islam. Uh, Despite references from the Quran and early Islamic sources, I would say there is little on Jesus' eschatological role. Uh, My original intent with this book was to fill in that gap, actually. Uh, Archbishop Fitzgerald, uh, uh, who is well-versed in the area of Quranic studies, says, uh, and I I consider this like a a good testimony of the book, Uh, he says, probably to date the most complete presentation of the eschatological role of Jesus according to Islam. And I think that's a good testimony from uh, a Jewish, uh, sorry, a Christian uh, scholar and also uh, a religious uh, personality. Um, So there are some good reviews of the book. Uh, And uh, I agree with him that, and actually I couldn't find many books written on the eschatological role of Jesus. Yes, in the Islamic tradition we have many books. I would say some of them are very inflammatory, some of them are academic, but uh, in the English-speaking world, we have no uh, many books um, on the eschatological role of Jesus.
0: So since this is a big focus of your project, could you say a little bit about what eschatology is and how you think about this in relationship to Jesus?
1: Um, Eschatology, uh, as you know, in the Islamic tradition, uh, there are three major areas. One is uh, called divinity, uh, ilahiyat or uluhiyya. Uh, the second is called nubuwa or nubuwat, uh prophethood. And the third is called uh, ma'at. Ma'at uh, can be translated as uh, eschatology, actually. Uh, the things that related to the end of time. So in this section of Islamic, in this, uh, let's say, field of Islamic theology, we have a variety of themes. Uh, including uh, the signs of the end of time, uh, the end of time itself, the concept of death, uh, after death, the life after this life. So all of these are a uh, part of Islamic eschatology. And when we look at the science uh, of the end of time, the signs of the end of time, um, we see major signs and small signs. A major uh, signs of the afterlife or um, uh, the, the, the events that indicate the coming of the end of time um, would be uh, the descent of Jesus as one of them. Uh, Antichrist, the emergence of Antichrist as one of them. Uh, there are some sources that, uh, you know, a fire will come from south. It says actually from Yemen. A, a smoke will come from Yemen, or something like that. Uh, there are several other things. And the last one, it says, the rise of the sun from the west. So I, uh, when I elaborated on, um, uh, on uh, uh, the Antichrist uh, in my thesis, uh, in my um, PhD d- dissertation, I found very interesting sources on Jesus, and therefore, Jesus is considered a very important uh, figure with this regard. Uh, so he is a part of the eschatological uh, tradition of Islam. Uh, and of course, uh, Muslims believe that he will come from sky directly. Many Muslims believe that way. In my book, I divided this concept into um, three different approaches. Uh, I would say I found more than 100 books written on this the mention of Jesus, uh, and I divided them into three categories. I, uh, one category, I called them uh, um, modernist approach. Another, I called them literalist uh, approach, another group of scholars. Uh, um, mostly, I would say, coming from um, the um, not, not Salafi in the modern term, but uh, uh, Ahlul Hadith, I would say, the people who are focusing on the literal dimension of the saints of the prophet, they think that, yes, the person of Jesus will come directly from sky because the prophet said this, and God is the most powerful, it will happen that way. But that didn't actually uh, sound very, very, um, uh, I would say, accurate to me because um, in my understanding of Islamic theology, it's not the way that God deals with human beings to send someone from sky. So I uh, found a different approach, and I really I favor that approach, and that is uh, understanding of the descent of Jesus in an allegorical way. So that's my approach: allegorical way of the descent. And, of Jesus. and
0: you're not you're not alone here, right? This isn't just a new idea that people have been thinking about recently. So who are some of the figures that you look at and how they understand? The descent as an allegory? Uh,
1: there are prominent scholars, I would say, uh, in early scholars like Al Halimi uh, uh, has a very interesting approach. Uh, Taftazani has a very interesting approach. In our time, a uh, more modern time, Mohammed uh has a very interesting approach. And I mentioned all of this in, in my book, and especially uh, Bedeu Zaman Saeed Nursi has a very interesting approach uh, about this. Uh, again, in an uh, understanding this concept in an allegorical way.
0: This, this strikes me. I see a connection here in terms of there's this idea that has, there's been a competing discourse throughout history. And maybe like the Isaac and Ishmael story is similar. Early exegetes thought that Isaac was the sacrificed son and then later it became Ishmael but oftentimes we take these things for granted in the modern context and assume there's just sort of one Islamic idea. And so I think that's one of the great things you do in your book is you survey how there's been really different ideas, not just about Jesus and his role in the end times, but specific things like what it might mean to descend from the sky. And so is that an important point that you're trying to get across, that there are a lot of different ideas about who Jesus has been?
1: Absolutely. Uh, I would say uh, I found out that uh, really, the concept is not uh, monolithic. Uh, we have variety of ideas, uh, approaches, so it, it shows a great pluralism of views in this Islamic eschatological theme.
0: And so you mentioned that you looked at over 100 books, and you look at things in all sorts of different languages, so... As you uh, began to undertake this project, how did you decide where to look and what kinds of texts you would look at and which languages you would look at?
1: Uh, I would say, like uh, any uh, scholar of Islamic theology, uh, I began with the Quran. Uh, is this concept mentioned in the Quran? And then uh, I look at the Hadith of the Prophet and Muslim commentators on the Quran and the Hadith. Um, I try to be, uh, to be looking at all this uh, thoroughly. Uh, not, you know, like a general looking, but actually going into the depth of these uh, sources, I have to say my approach is more analytical rather than just, you know, taking some sources and using as is. Uh, I look at contemporary debates regarding traditional and and modernist approaches, for example, uh, Mustafa Sabri, Mohammed Zahid Al-Kawseri, and also uh, Mahmoud Sheltoud. This. Figures have debated the subject uh, tremendously, uh, unbelievably. Uh, So I elaborated on their uh, debates as well. Uh, I also examined Christian and Jewish sources from time to time as they became relevant.
0: And so, yeah, thinking about how Christians and Jews think about Jesus, and of course Muslims think about Jesus differently, but there's a lot of overlap. So one thing is in the Qur'an, Jesus is thought about as the Word and the Messiah, and so how do these similarities distinguish themselves subtly from Christian understanding? So the Messiah, for example, what what does that mean for Muslims that Jesus is the Messiah?
1: Well, uh, it generally, uh, I uh, you know, the commentators of the Quran would look uh, at this uh, um, uh, term because this is a term that is used only for Jesus in the Quran. Uh, we have. 25, 28 prophets named uh, in the Quran but this is a title that given only to Jesus in the Quran so I try to find out what is the meaning of uh, Al-Masih or the Messiah generally um, it is understood as the anointed one, not a person that is understood like the Christ concept that's understood in the Christian tradition but because uh, uh, Jesus and Prophet Muhammad and uh, Prophet Moses, all these messengers of God, are not uh, uh, saviors per se, uh, because the concept of al-Messiah, the one who saves, uh, yes, they give a message, but this, the one who saves is God, actually, God is, these are the messengers of God, so maybe with that regard, it, you know I uh, I did not elaborate too much on this concept itself, uh, al-Messiah, But uh, I found out that generally in the Islamic tradition it's understood as the anointed one rather than the term that has uh, a Christian connotation.
0: So connecting this back to some of the interfaith work you're involved, what do you see as some of the chief challenges in terms of Muslims and Christians discussing sometimes overt and sometimes subtle theological differences around Jesus? Do you have any tips or strategies that you would recommend for people that want to set up dialogues around Jesus?
1: I think they can set up dialogue around Jesus because, um, they, I think they can acknowledge the differences. Uh, and in my book, I, I argue that not only Muslims and Christians, but Muslims, Christians, and Jews can all come together. Uh, I have a chapter, the last chapter of the book actually is about interfaith dialogue. And, um, uh, one of these uh, um, uh, scholars who understand uh, uh, the coming of Jesus mm-hmm. in an allegorical way uh, suggests that the meaning of this is a cooperation between uh, Christians and Muslims coming together. so uh, they may acknowledge acknowledge their differences, but that uh, those differences should not be obstacles. Against uh their uh, their coming together and their uh communication and their cooperation, so I think uh jesus uh, can play an important role uh with this regard
0: and so again on this note of how different thinkers understand Jesus differently and you survey so many different scholars who were who are some of the ones that struck you in particular as uh meaning meaningful so you look Look at Nursi, for example, and also Sufi thinkers, and what you've referred to as Salafi thinkers, which obviously encompasses a large spectrum. So, who are some of your your favorite? I would
1: say um, uh, uh, the one that actually uh, was striking me the most, uh, I would say uh, Nursi. Um, Nursi uh, uh, speaks a lot about Jesus. First, he speaks about how he is alive now. Uh, Very interesting. Many Muslim scholars believe that Jesus is alive, uh, still alive. So uh, uh, he says there are uh, five levels of life, and Jesus is uh, in one of these levels. So when we say a person is alive, it's not only one level, but there are several levels of life. So he gives uh, very good information about this. Then he speaks about the coming uh, of Jesus, the descent of Jesus, uh, uh, and he says, um, uh, he, and he's a pioneer in this regard, the, uh, the, which is, uh, uh, I would say, he, he said this in his uh, famous sermon, um, to a certain extent, I would say. Later he elaborated uh, further uh, in his sermon that he gave in uh, um- in the Umayyad mosque uh, in Damascus in 1911. In this sermon, he focuses on the diseases of uh, the Islamic world and how they can be cured. He actually provides cures for their diseases. And one of the things that he strongly emphasizes is uh, uh, Muslim-Christian cooperation. Uh, uh, he says, ittifak, alliance. In this such early time, talking about this, uh, almost uh, 50 years before, before the Nostra Aetate, uh, it's it, uh, really uh, uh, important. It is really important. Um, and then uh, later in his writings, he elaborates this concept of the descent of Jesus uh, as actually the fulfillment of this cooperation. If this happens, uh, and then uh, in some of his other books, uh, like uh, in his dialogues, uh, which is known as Al-Munazarat, uh, he speaks of the people of the book uh, in a more general term. So Christians, Muslims, and Jews, basically the people of the book in the Quran is a term, uh, ref, uh, a term is uh, referring to um, uh, Christians and, and Jews. So he, I also uh, found him a very interesting scholar among all the scholars that I studied and worked on them.
0: And so, going back to this idea of the descent. So, if some of the figures you looked at are thinking about this allegorically, what are how how have Muslims uh, set themselves up to be able to identify Jesus when he comes, whether it's in an allegorical or literal sense?
1: Well, uh, if we understand uh, in an allegorical uh, way, um, then actually you don't have to recognize Jesus when he comes. You <laughs> know, it's not a matter of of finding a person. Uh, As Muhammad Abdul says, uh, the essence of the message of Jesus is uh, love, mercy, and peace. If these three concepts dominate human society, that means Jesus is there. Or if you work for these three concepts, actually, you are working with Jesus. You are actually on that pattern, on that way that is uh, expected uh, for the for the end of time and for the human society. So basically there is no such a thing that uh, according to the allegorical meaning I would say uh, that you have to recognize Jesus. Nursi has a very interesting approach. It says the personality of Jesus after he was ascended by God to heaven uh, has become like an angelic personality so he may come and then go he may come and may go back and without being even noticed because angels are you know, uh, uh, angels can be in in variety of places and they can be here and they can be, uh, you know, in a different place and we don't be noticed. So it's not a person anymore, actually. And therefore, even the concept of Nizul, uh, I elaborated uh, in, in my book, that Nizul, uh, for example, can be used in, in a variety of terms. Uh, uh, Nizul al-Matar, uh, the coming of... Uh, the coming of uh, rain. Nuzul al the coming of uh, angels. So when they come, do we see angels? No. So Nuzul not necessarily to be a physical uh, uh, coming uh, uh, to earth so that everybody will be able to see. But that is not actually, I would say, uh, understood uh, by those who think uh, uh, in a literal way because I, I communicate with some of these people and they really believe that Jesus will come directly from sky. And I remember once I said uh, to one of them, I said, so you believe that when Jesus comes, uh, CNN, ABC will have an interview with him? And he said, yes, absolutely, uh, because the prophet promised this, and that's the way that uh, it will happen. Jesus will come directly.
0: So when you have conversations with them, is did you have any opportunities to – exchange perspectives and challenge ideas and get pushback at all?
1: I would say yes, uh, uh, because when I argued and I said, uh, um, okay, so if God is the most powerful, which is true, the Quran says, God is the most powerful over everything. Okay, then why God does not make, uh, let's say, an apple from from the seed of an apple in 10 seconds. God is powerful. God can make it, but God doesn't do that because as we have the power of God, we also have the wisdom of God. Uh, Hikmatullah. Hikmatullah, the wisdom of God in this world, works differently, not according to the power of God, but according to the wisdom of God. The things are happening. And therefore, the wisdom of God does not actually allow for a person coming from sky with parachute. Uh, you know, like uh, the Jesus, the personality of Jesus will come from sky. So uh, there is a hikmah here, there is a, and the prophet spoke allegorical language. I, I found interesting evidences that the prophet spoke uh, in an allegorical language. For example, on one occasion, uh, Aisha, uh, the wife of the prophet, asked him, which of us will meet you the first after your death? Which means, which of us will die first? And the prophet says, the one whose hand is the longest. And Aisha says, we started measuring our hands. Whose hands are the longest? But then later, uh, the one whose hand was the shortest died. Then we understood that the prophet meant the one who gives charity the most. So the prophet used allegorical language because allegorical language is a part of Arabic eloquence.
0: So, so obviously this is a really big question, right? When we're thinking about religious traditions and religious texts, how do we know when to look at something allegorically? So, having thought about this question a lot from the particular angle of thinking about Jesus, do you have any general thoughts on how, not just with the Islamic tradition, but in general, how how people can answer this question in a meaningful and reasonable way?
1: Yeah, thank you. I think that's a very important question. Uh, there are There are some criteria, I would say. At least uh, what you say uh, that uh, uh, should be allegorical uh, has to uh, meet with the criteria of the methodology of the hadith and the methodology of the common uh, tafsir, the the commentary of the Quran. Because these two fields of Islamic disciplines have certain methodologies. In order to avoid uh, uh, esotericism, uh, because uh, that is another danger, you know, to to become a botanilla, you know. Uh, you say everything is allegorical, okay, the entire Quran is allegorical. The, and that is also not, not appropriate. There is a methodology, and generally uh, I would say um, uh, Al-Shatabi has a great uh, methodology in this regard. I would recommend that one has to read Al-Shatabi uh, in this regard. And there are contemporary methodologies, like Muhammad Abu Zahra also Wrote a very beautiful methodology uh, uh, of, of these disciplines, so um, I would say uh, that it has to it has to meet uh, um, uh, those uh, sources, those uh, methodological sources. But if we say just one statement about this, um, when allegorical uh, uh, interpretation is appropriate, basically when the uh, um, Literal interpretation is not appropriate. Then allegorical interpretation becomes uh, becomes necessary. Because the prophet does not speak in vain, the Quran says. So if he does not speak in vain, and if he says something that is not uh, within the limit of logic, the limit of, of reason, then there should be another meaning for it. So, uh, well, that is the idea. If you think that this is possible because God is the most powerful That is not the way to, you know, to approach the text. Basically, God is the most powerful to do everything. So, uh, and that's why scholars who are really versed in in the area, uh, they uh, focus on uh, eschatological themes uh, in an allegorical way. Uh, And we see this in prominent figures as well.
0: So, uh, along the lines of this topic... So you talked about Nursi as someone who resonated with you in particular. Were there authors you looked at that challenged you in particular ways and opened up doors that you hadn't thought about before you undertook the project?
1: I I would say um, some early scholars, I would never expect that, for example, al Halimi would have something uh, on this, uh, who is considerably uh, an early uh, uh, Islamic scholar. Um, And I would not also think that uh, there will be Islamic scholars who would deny this uh, totally. Like uh, Abdul Karim al-Khatib, for example, uh, he says, this is totally nonsense. You know, uh, these are all traditions are uh, fabricated and uh, they are um, uh, under the influence of Christian and and, uh, Jewish traditions. There is no such a thing that Jesus will come and the Zul-Aisa is is not found in any Islamic sources. And yet, like Al-Kashmiri, for example, uh, these Indian Islamic scholar put together about 100 sayings of the Prophet uh, on the descent of Jesus. And I would say uh, uh, that was also striking because, uh, I mean, you can deny some of them. Uh, yes, there are many fabricated sayings of the Prophet. Uh, Al-Futi put together uh, several volumes uh, uh, called them uh, called his book Ali Al Masnu'a," the artificial uh, um, um, pearls, the artificial pearls, not real pearls, but artificial. But there are very prominent and very uh, sound sayings of the Prophet on the, especially on the coming of Jesus. So that was also striking because, I mean, it's easy to say, well, none of them are reliable, and therefore, just uh, I think it will be. It. Uh, as easy as those who say he's coming directly from sky. I remember once I was giving a talk on this. uh, um, I think it was uh, uh, in in Arizona, uh, uh, a gentleman, uh, a Muslim, uh, um, raised his hand, and he said, uh, I like the literalist approach. And I said, why? And he said, because that is easy. Just believe in it and live it. God will take care of it. Don't worry about the interpretations. Well, I said, for you, it is easy, but for me, it is challenging. How you can expect, you know, a person coming from the sky directly. Well, for me, as a scholar of Islamic theology, really, it is perplexing and challenging.
0: So, for people that wanted to reject the role of Jesus in Islamic eschatology, what do you think was at stake for them? Given that this was part of the tradition, and they wanted to reject the the scholarship that was pointing towards Jesus as part of eschatological reasoning.
1: I think the main reason uh, they think that uh, is unreasonable. The main reason is their understanding of the subject as unreasonable, because um, because it doesn't sound reasonable to have a person coming from sky. I don't know, for example, uh, scholars like Abdul Karim Al-Khatib, uh, um, if they uh, found something uh, uh, with regard to allegorical uh, uh, commentaries. Uh, for example, I don't know if he was aware of al uh writings. Uh, he might be aware, but I don't know if he really found the, those uh, specific information. So um, I think that if they would be more away of the allegorical interpretation, they would not be so much uh, denying altogether.
0: So it sounds like your, your own project is a model for how to think about the larger picture, since you survey so many different traditions and aren't necessarily favoring one over the other, even if you have your own sorts of ideas. And so one thing you do in the book, which I think is particularly provocative given the state of Islamic studies, is that you give particular attention to Turkish thinkers. And so since Turkish scholars are underutilized, as is the Turkish language in the study of Islam today, what what are some of the original contributions that the Turkish scholars you've studied make to this conversation about Jesus' role in Islam and Islamic eschatology?
1: I think um, I found uh, among Turkish scholars uh, basically uh, Nursi as the most important one. Uh, And also uh, I found uh, Al-Malili Muhammad Hamdi Yazar. Uh, He's a prominent commentator of the Quran. Uh, So um, I think both of them were, uh, uh, I I used... uh, you know, uh, their ideas. I I benefited from their ideas. Um, Nursi, more specifically, is talking about the descent of Jesus, but uh, Yasser uh, speaks of the descent of Jesus sometimes in a very um, philosophical way, I would say. Uh, so I uh, used um, part of his commentary, uh, I would say a few pages uh, and translated uh, into uh, English and uh, put as an uh, as appendix, uh, uh, you know, for my book. Um, and I think this is the first time uh, available in English. Uh, Among scholars that also uh, are influential and really well-versed in the Hadith, uh, I would say Fetullah Gulen. Uh, since he is alive on uh, uh, and I said I have to have his opinion on the subject, so I sent him uh, five questions, and he kindly responded in an article format and I also put that as an appendix at the end uh, of my book. Uh, the reason I wanted this because I think that uh, Turkish scholars should be more recognized in American uh, uh, academia, generally in Western academia they are not very well known. For example, Nursi's writings are translated, but I think they are not very well known. And also maybe translations are not very good. So I said once I was translating uh, some of Nursi's writings for my uh, uh, own work, and I said, I wish Nursi had uh, um, Reynold Nicholson, a person like Reynold Nicholson that who translated Rumi uh, to English. Uh, Nursi, if Nursi had someone like Raynal Nicholson, he would be a, a remarkable personality in the Western world because he has so fresh ideas, really so unique ideas that is, I did not find among early Islamic scholars and even contemporary Islamic scholars. So I think they should be recognized uh, at least to a certain extent. I don't think that this is intentionally done uh, and I think it is because of the lack of the a translation a good translation of their works
0: and so what is there anything besides that do you think that prevents scholars from paying more attention to turkish scholarship so the lack of translations from things from turkish into english do you think there's anything i think one say?
1: one more thing maybe uh, um uh, is a factor uh I think sometimes when we think of Islam, we think directly uh, Arabic, because the Quran is Arabic. And, uh, well, uh, Arabs are those who brought Islam
0: to humanity.
1: So who are Turks? They are secondary, you know, like in the era of Islamic studies. Uh, But I think uh, Turks have have contributed greatly. Uh, uh, Fazlur Rahman, in one of his, I think, uh, articles says – the level of scholarship among Turkish scholars is considerably high. But this is not very well known. Uh, And I think maybe additional to the factor that you mentioned, this is also like a kind of background in the mind of people. Uh, I remember once I was uh, in Cairo attending a book fair there, and when I said I am Turkish, she said, uh, can you recite the first chapter of the Qur'an? So, the idea was that a Turkish person cannot even recite the first chapter of the Quran you know among uh, uh, some people uh, that should not be in academia, but maybe to a certain extent can be found at least to a certain extent um, sometimes uh, can be a factor as well
0: so on this note of spreading knowledge to broad audiences uh, how what kinds of opportunities have you had to use your scholarship with your teaching with students and Has that changed now that your book is published?
1: Well, um, I think, um, I mean, my teaching style is continuing, uh, but uh, because uh, my students are sometimes referring to my book, and sometimes we have discussion on it, uh, especially when we come uh, to the concept of Jesus in Islam. Well, I think it is uh, it is very good to uh to have something that students can see uh, you know in a concrete way. when they look at it, they can really uh, make a sense of it and my goal was not to use a very academic language that will not be really relevant to college students um, it, they, they can really understand it, and that's that's what is um you know. Uh, promising for me, um, uh, Jonathan Brown uh, of Georgetown says, this is a book that um, academics and non-academics can really enjoy reading it. So that, is, that was my goal, actually, to make it accessible for academics and non-academics as well.
0: And I think that's one of the strengths of the book, particularly because it's a topic that so many people resonate with. Just when they see the title, it's very intriguing and English speakers know about Jesus, and then, oh, Jesus has something to do with Islam, that surprises a lot of people. So are there any kind of particular student reactions that have stood out to you, where they had sort of a revelation of insight or connected some dots that um, you, you, you've noticed in your teaching?
1: I I, uh, I have noticed a lot, I would say. Uh, in fact, a Muslim student came to me, and and he said, uh, Dr. Toprak." I uh, I read your book. Uh, I finished it, and I have to say, uh, the book changed my approach uh, completely about uh, uh, Jesus in the Islamic understanding. And I have to thank you for for this uh, new approach.
0: What What do you think? What What changed for him in, in particular? I think or... he was
1: he was thinking literally,
0: uh-huh.
1: and uh, uh, and it was challenging for him because. Uh, that's what I understood from him. He, he did not want to uh, um, reject the sayings of the prophet because rejecting the sayings of the prophet is actually destroying your faith. So he was, you know, like between, either to to accept uh, uh, blindly or to reject it. And so when he read my book, I think it gave him, you know, like a, a, a very, uh, uh, you know, a, a, a interesting approach that he found a reconciliation uh, between uh, his faith and the sayings of the prophet.
0: Yeah, so I mean, challenging, challenging students, right? It's one of one of our missions as as professors. So it's always great to hear these kinds of stories. So. True. Be, before we conclude, uh, I know that you're working on several other projects and are busy organizing conferences and traveling around. So could you tell us some about, a little bit about your current and upcoming projects that you're thinking about over the next few years?
1: Uh, my, my current project is um, uh, actually a book project. I'm working on it now. And inshallah... I will be finishing by the end of this year. That's my promise for the publisher. Uh, It is uh, tentatively called um, um, Islamic Spirituality, um, Theology, and Practice for uh, a Modern Time. Um, So uh, I hope that it will be uh, a good source for those who are interested in Islamic Spirituality. I have many other uh, projects uh, on my mind. Um, some people ask me if I would like to write a book on Islam's Moses. Well, I think it's, it's well-deserved. Uh, and uh, if I have time, uh, God willing, I may do something on that. Um, I have an idea to write a complete tafsir, if God gives me, you know, like a long life, a tafsir of the Qur'an. Uh, which is not available. I, uh, and I I did something, and I found out that it will be great to have not only translations of the Quran, but a commentary of the Quran, based on my understanding, uh, especially um, having reading Western sources, uh, Christian Jewish sources, and Islamic sources. Uh, it will be very good uh, to have uh, like a large tafsir uh, uh, on the Quran, but that is, you know, like a 20 years project, you know, uh, I'm not sure that I can, I will do it. Uh, it's on my mind, basically.
0: Well, this all sounds like very exciting uh, re- research and interest. And so since uh, I happen to know and have been involved with the spiritual jihad conference that has just concluded at John Carroll University, could you say a little bit about that, that conference and how that's related to your your scholarship and academic interests more broadly?
1: Um, we have, uh, at, at John Carroll University, we have a chair in Islamic studies. Uh, it is called the Zaman Said Nursi Chair in Islamic Studies, named after Nursi, actually, uh, supported by uh, uh, several uh, Muslim businessmen. Um, we have events. We have um, uh, conferences. We organize conferences. And uh, this year, uh, the the year two thousand fifteen conference was on uh, spiritual jihad. Uh, basically, uh, everybody speaks about uh, uh, jihad. Uh, you know, we have uh, uh, unfortunately uh, uh, people who are using this term of jihad to kill people, and uh, uh, and that's why we said let's find something more significant uh, in, the, in the Islamic teaching and that is spiritual jihad, which is not very well known. Everybody knows about uh, jihad as a physical one, as a force, as a violence, but no one uh, uh, speaks of jihad that is spiritual. That is actually jihad against yourself, against your own inclinations. Uh, jihad as a positive uh, behaviors, as a positive action, rather than Destroying jihad as a building, uh, so um, we decided to have this conference, and we had really a good number of scholars, including yourself, uh, and um, and I, I'm very pleased that the conference went very well. Uh, people uh, showed a great interest in the conference. Uh, I think uh, a good number of people uh, stayed until from the beginning of the conference until until the end of the conference. So I uh, found that as a kind of sign uh, of a great interest in the subject. Uh, it is important because uh, we need this jihad. We need this spiritual jihad. Uh, in, in our world, uh, a world that is just yesterday, you know, uh, 100, over 100 people were killed by these people who are considering themselves as, uh, f- forming, as performing jihad, uh, which is distortion of the teaching of, uh, of Islam. Uh, but these people are known as Muslims. I call the Muslims with capital M, but not Muslims with lowercase m. Uh, so we need uh, more about the spiritual dimension of religion, and I think that will bring uh, people together, and I think that will be very helpful uh, in, uh, in you know, uh, communicating with each other and also coming together.
0: Well, thank you so much Time, for taking the time to chat, Zaki. And it's been a real pleasure to engage with your work, especially uh, around topics that are of broad public interest. And I think you do an absolutely wonderful job of striking that fine balance between real erudite scholarship while at the same time keeping it accessible to broad audiences. And I really appreciate our opportunity to chat.
1: Thank you very much, Elliot. It was a great pleasure talking with you.
0: That was my conversation with Zeki Saritoprak, Professor of Theology and Religious Studies and Director of the Bediouz Zaman Said Nursi Chair in Islamic Studies at John Carroll University about his exciting book, Islam's Jesus, published by the University of Florida Press in 2015. Thank you for listening.